Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the greatest generation Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. We landed on a square last week, and it's made us do a thing. I'm looking at that thing. I'm looking at that thing during... We're doing Kanar with Damar, our inaugural Kanar with Damar. We're doing looking at Kanar during... (laughs) How did you? Uh, how did you go? About- Are you trying to talk Kanar Ari Demar <laughs> to me? <laughs> yeah. Well, if we were on midroll, that would probably be the name of this show. Right. Right. Um, how did you go about sourcing your your Kanar? Because I know that it's it's pretty hard to find outside of the Cardassian Star Empire. I think I just made it a project that went like, uh, what is a cocktail that I've been wanting to make lately? And I haven't. Uh-huh. That's, that's what I'll call, that's what I'll call <laughs> Kanar for the purposes of our show. Mm. Uh, and I did that. I did exactly that. Would you like to know what my drink is, Ben? Would you like to know more? <laughs> All right. My version of Kanar with Damar goes like this. You're going to want... Two ounces of mezcal. Whoa. One ounce of simple syrup. Three quarters ounce fresh lime juice. Uh Huh? A quarter ounce plus one teaspoon of fresh ginger juice. And here's where I go away from the recipe a little bit. I used a ginger shrub that I made over the weekend. Hey, that sounds nice. I don't know if you fucked around with shrubs, but that's what I'm using in place of the ginger juice. And then here's the thing that I make this uniquely canard. Okay. It's got two drops of toasted sesame oil in it. What the fuck? So you put that in a shaker, shake it all around, and then you take the cap off the shaker, top with a couple ounces of club soda, and then pour that through the strainer in the top. That's how you mix it. I've never seen a cocktail recipe mix the club soda with a drink like this. Yeah. And it's sort of a great move. So I I capped it with the club soda. I put the top of the shaker back on. I strained it into uh, my Taco Bell Star Trek 3 Search for Spot glass. (laughs) And uh, I don't know if you can see it, but it's a a nice, like, pale green, pale brown kind of look. Uh, I think because of the... uh, it looks, it looks like diluted canar, I think. Yeah. The couple of times you've actually seen the liquid of canar on screen, it's <laughs> looked kind of chunky, and I didn't want... It does not look good. ...the level of viscosity that we've seen depicted. What I did was I, t- I, I did a riff on a Negroni that has none of the ingredients of a Negroni. It just oh. use, uses the proportions, because Negroni is uh, gin, Campari, and sweet vermouth in equal measures. Right. So what I did was rum, like a dark rum, Suze, and uh, and a, a sweeter Italian Amaro, Amaro Lucano, in equal measures. What was the middle thing you said? Suze? Yeah. What means Suze? Suze is a French aperitif. It's a, a, a gentian bitter, so it, it can... I don't know what that word means either. Gentian is a root that, uh, that okay. is used for bitter flavor in a lot of spirits. It's in a lot of uh, like cocktail bitters. Uh, oh, okay. And it, it's real nasty stuff. I've messed with the, uh, I've messed with the <laughs> raw root because I used to make my own bitters. And uh, right. I would say that wormwood is the only, is the only nastier substance I've worked with personally like it like the like the dust that comes off of it if it gets in your nostrils will just like your palate is wrecked for the rest of the day but um I haven't actually tried this yet so I'm gonna give it hey uh cheers to you and to Damar yeah fantastic this is a this is a nice drink it's actually it's relaxed in the glass quite a bit since I mixed Mm -hmm. it but I, I did I did a, a double recipe and two giant ice cubes so that I could uh, make it through our, our record here today without having to pop up and go mix another one. Um, it's good. I like mine also, and that was a great subtle tip. 
out there for uh, anyone who's dabbling in the cocktails that you just dropped there, Ben. Uh, letting a cocktail lay down many times is going to uh, not only get it colder, but a little bit of the dilution can help many cocktails taste a little better. That's true. Um, boy, I uh, I can't wait to get into this episode. This is such a such a unique episode of Deep Space Nine. Do you want to talk about season six, episode fifteen? Honor Among Thieves. Do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> no, of course you don't. I love how this episode doesn't even give you a chance to ask why. Why O'Brien? I am Chief Miles Edward O'Brien. This is fucking spectacular. But you're never given a moment to even consider that because... Oh, I totally the- considered it. I think that I'm, the because the show just plops you in his story, like yeah, like, that's what I'm saying. Like you don't see him recruited, yes. you don't see him writing his will because O'Brien's a famous <laughs> willman. Yeah, like he loves writing wills before going on any dangerous mission. The will is not shared. The, the none of the misgivings, none of the I guess FaceTimes with Keiko because <laughs> mm-hmm. we're she's like on Earth or something, right? Yeah, and also off the show. Yeah. But yeah, the uh, like we come in in media race. He is uh, we we get an establishing shot of this planet that uh, I don't know if we ever get the name of this planet, but I think of it in my head as Rust Coruscant. That's a good name. It is Farious, though, as in a place that's very unfarious for its inhabitants. <laughs> yeah, that's a. Uh, it's sort of it's sort of like factory factory looking planet, except for. All there seems to be on this planet are bars and apartments. Yeah, this is what makes it such a popular place for the Orion Syndicate. Yeah. It's got a real criminal element. Indeed it does. There's some uh, there's some dudes hanging out in this bar nowhere near O'Brien, and, and you can just tell right off the bat that they're up to no good. And uh, they're worried about somebody named Ramos that is not going to be happy with something that happened. If you're wondering how pervasive the criminal activity is on Farious, all you need to know is that these criminals chose a fairly empty bar to do their very loud business in. <laughs> I wondered watching this if uh, if it was influenced by The Sopranos, because I just started watching mm. that with my wife. And oh, yeah. this came out like a year before Sopranos came out. So, oh yeah, clearly inspiring the think, hit HBO show, The Sopranos. Yeah, I think the inspiration went the other way. What do you think of this loaf? Is this is the loaf that's on some of the aliens in this bar? Like Ramos has this loaf, Flith has this loaf. There's a guy doing hookah in the beginning of this scene that has this loaf. It's like no a, a pretty subtle like Bajoran amount of loaf, but but not Bajoran. Is this what Orion right. like people from Orion have? Because I thought Orions were green. If, if if you have loaf, you're welcome here. You don't have to be Orion to be in the Orion crime syndicate. Right. But Clearly. I thought, like, you had to be Orion to be to get made, you know? Yeah. That's my per diem. And who do I give it to? Like, if you're half Orion, half Irish, it's no good. <laughs> no, that means you're black Orion? <laughs> Is that how that works? I'm not sure. I've only I've only seen like half of a season of Sopranos. So, <laughs> wow, buckle up, Ben. <laughs> uh, O'Brien's deep cover outfit appears to be a headless Times Square Fozzie Bear costume. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he does say "waka waka waka" an awful lot in this episode. I mean, it's it's always storming on Farious, uh, so I understand maybe wanting to dress in layers, but yeah, looks pretty hot. The dudes sitting at this table decide that they want a bite to eat, and uh, and they're gonna put in an order on space DoorDash, and uh, they they nominate Kroll, the uh, the most loafy of them, to get up. Order some Nazala sandwiches. And Kroll has uh, has one of these neck mounted uh, computer interfaces that we saw. In that one episode with the pretty lady that had it. Right. Who turned out to be a, a secret agent. 
Kroll doesn't have the hair for covering that up, though. He's just letting his Frankenstein bolts hang. He's not trying to like pass in polite society. He lives on he, he lives on this dumpy planet. Yeah, clearly unfarious. No one cares what you look like. <laughs> ben, have you ever walked through a drive-through? That's what this food ordering system looks like. It looks like a drive-through window that's just in the middle of a bar. Yeah, it's a uh, it's about as hazardous as the time that Larry does that in Curb. <laughs> I want one second. And it's totally annoying in the way that you would understand it. Like everyone's just yelling orders at Kroll and <laughs> Kroll is trying to get it all straight. Get them to deliver some extra villain sauce. And some Skittles. Yeah. Uh, but he makes a terrible error by ordering the Wharf Lightning last. <laughs> and uh, this is a meal that Kroll. comes served electrocuted for yeah. him. Don't! Don't touch him! He's being spiked! O'Brien, uh, like, surreptitiously spikes Kroll and then makes a show of helping him and uh, assessing the damage to his, his little interface gizmos, which uh, he says are, are fused, but uh, but maybe he can fix them. And this is how he kind of uh, catches catches Bilby's eye, Bil- Bilby's the boss, and uh, O'Brien is going, has been tasked with, uh, with repairing this gizmo and... Uh, and that means he's got a second date with Bilby. You take these. Bring them back tomorrow morning, fixed and polished. Tomorrow morning it is. It's like leaving something behind in a girl's apartment, you know? <laughs> I was just going to say, I, I really like his chances here. <laughs> O'Brien bent over to pick up the other Frankenstein bolt that Kroll dropped on the ground, and uh, Bilby's like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> Out in the alley, we get a little bit of uh, of backstory because it is there that O'Brien meets up with his Starfleet intelligence guy. And uh, in this conversation that they have, we learn that he's in deep cover and he's trying to get in with the Orion Syndicate. The issue is that the uh, the other operatives that Starfleet intelligence had embedded in the Orion Syndicate have been dropping like flies. They've... Uh, They've lost five of them in the last year, which means they're pretty sure at this point that they must have a rat in Starfleet intelligence. And so that's that's why O'Brien. That's why they need somebody that is not affiliated in any way with Starfleet intelligence. You get the, you get the sense that Chadwick is kind of running this op uh, very close to the vest. Not a lot of people know that this is happening. I feel like any time Chadwick walks around Farius... People are yelling narc at him. Like, has there ever been a person that looks more Starfleet than Chadwick does? <laughs> he must just live in that alley. How could he possibly leave? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the like meeting in the alley felt very dangerous. If you're a legit criminal on Farius, you meet in the bar. I just feel like Bilby probably has like a drone following Connolly the second he leaves the bar. Yeah. Right. Like Connolly cannot meet with strange men that look like cops outside <laughs> safely. <laughs> Among the things that this episode forces you to forget is that I mean, if you are a Starfleet in deep cover, you should be wearing loaf. Yeah. You just should. That'd be nice if he had some of that nose loaf. He needs to be under loaf cover <laughs> for safety. Yeah, so so the table is set and we uh go to theme song and when we come back we're at the station where shit has really fallen apart because o'brien's the only one who knew how to do anything there that's a real indictment of o'brien's ability to uh manage (laughs) engineers i think like the idea that he has a huge team that none of whom have learned enough to to like what if O'Brien gets killed on this mission? Do they just have to withdraw from Deep Space Nine? I mean, how dumb is Rom <laughs> if we don't even get a scene with him? I like this scene because it turns Kira into the station superintendent, and that's an uncomfortable place for her because, like, it's coming from all directions. Like, right. Dax and Worf and Quark and Odo, like, they're just hammering her for all of their their leaky faucets. <laughs> 
when I wonder if they ever considered like cutting to Rom and yeah, his just, 200 task list long list of things to do. If, if this episode like three times cut to Rom in a Jeffrey's tube just like desperately banging on something like, <laughs> no! <laughs> like, and the third cut to him is him just in the fetal position crying in a Jeffrey's tube. <laughs> What we need to do is, is torture O'Brien a little less, torture Rom a little more. Yeah. Uh, we also get a scene in the commander's office where uh, Dr. Bashir is pissing himself with fear over what might befall his friend, Chief O'Brien. I wonder if they gave any thought to putting Bashir undercover. He's smart. He sees all the angles. He loves spy shit. He loves spy shit way more than O'Brien. O'Brien likes being a pilot. I'm not talking about the episode asking that. I'm talking about if this were real, right. why wouldn't Chadwick choose Bashir over O'Brien? I'm still lost on why it has to be O'Brien doing this. Yeah, the episode pays some lip service to the idea that O'Brien is worried about blowback hitting his family. Like mm-hmm. he conceals the fact that he has a family to Bilby several times and just from like a operational standpoint, like spies and spy movies are all the time described as like people with no connections to the square world. Because sure. if you have that, it become it could become leverage. You know, who who has fewer connections to the square world than Doctor Bashir? Like he, uh, I he's... mean, for Doctor Bashir, his children are his glasses of urine. <laughs> Each one more precious than the last. <laughs> How could I pick among them? <laughs> there is a uh, a growing bond between Chief O'Brien and Bilby, or Connolly and Bilby, I guess, because uh, Connolly is able to repair this uh, this neck hacking gadget, and that means he's kind of like he's he's kind of being danced with. They're they're considering letting him kind of be part of the gang. How do you know where I live? I know a lot about you. Maybe more than you want me to. Come with me. Where are we going? For a walk. I mean, this scene is really dark because when Bilby hands O'Brien a phaser and asks him to shoot that homeless man in the alley (laughs) in order to join the gang, he has to do it. He has no choice. Yeah, and, you know, this is something that... Every every undercover has to do right, like hit the crack pipe or uh-huh. or, or uh, you know stab a junkie or whatever. And uh, and it's practically a catchphrase for O'Brien because before he blows this guy's brains out, he's like, "I don't hate you, homeless man on Farius. I hate what you made me become." The second date involves O'Brien going home with Bilby. Yeah, this... And uh, it, it seems like things are going a little fast. Very fast. Uh, Bilby... I mean, I, the reason I looked up the Sopranos thing is because Bilby reveals himself to be a kind of a soft touch and a family man. Like, he's he's a character that, up until this point, we have seen as, like, the scariest guy in the bar. Not, like, the most physically intimidating, but definitely, like, the superior of these other two gangsters. A guy that you wouldn't want to be you know, on the wrong side of. And then right. he shows this kind of vulnerability very suddenly to Chief O'Brien. Do you like my wife's cake? <sighs> to tell you the truth, it's a, it's a little dry. O'Brien says, you know, to tell you the truth, I'd prefer your wife's pie, but I'll take it. And then Bilby's like, and then Bilby's like, you're in luck. And then he pulls back the curtain. And then there's Bilby's wife <laughs> yeah. on all fours. She's not wearing any any uh, any pants. Um. <laughs> Bilby sits back in his chair and he, and he talks about how much he likes to watch. Yeah, Bilby's kind of a classic powerful man that loves being cuckolded. What Bilby does show O'Brien is his AK-47 phaser. And he's like, I really love what you did with those Frankenstein bolts before, but... You got anything that will fix these? Yeah, these are Klingon disruptor rifles that they stole on behalf of Ramos, who is the dude that they were referring to being afraid of before. And uh, there's a a quick diagnostic where 
Chief O'Brien looks it over and assesses what is wrong with it. And this is uh, this is the next this is the next mission. This is the next step toward uh, toward joining the gang. As uh, O'Brien is going to have to fix these rifles. Bilby's explanation of the crime syndicate is so MLM. You do know what organization I'm referring to, don't you? I think so. He's like, look, we really don't know Ramus, but I can tell you he's above me, and then everyone else you met at the bar is below me. And this Klingon rifle looks brand name, right? It's actually from Confederated Products. <laughs> and I can sell it to you for half the price of what you might pay in a store. Now, I've got a whole garage full of these. What I'm suggesting for you is you get seven friends, and then they get seven friends. We don't just sell the products ourselves. No, sir, you're rebound. This is all about, about your downline. I could tell you're a pretty social person. You probably have seven friends easily. <laughs> you do have seven friends, don't you? You know, like the way that I built some of these is invited people over to my house for a, you know, like a pleasant dinner party and then suggested, why don't we uh, go into the living room and talk about a pretty exciting business opportunity I might be able to get you involved in. Almost everything in this house is from Confederated products, from the toilet paper to the, to, to the candles, to the ham. Even that cologne you liked. I find that after they fucked my wife <laughs> is a great time <laughs> to tell them about a great business opportunity. How'd you like to have a little bit of extra spending money? Maybe get yourself a boat or this nice Mercedes in this pamphlet. <laughs> uh, O'Brien is interested. Of course he is, because this is his mission. Yeah. He's, he's got to get deeper and deeper undercover and in with this crime syndicate. He's got to build trust because he's got to find out who the rat is. It's not that fixing anything was the test. The cake was the test. Because that's the moment where Bilby's like, you know, these other assholes, you know, down the line in my MLM, they would never tell me that this cake sucked. <laughs> but you told me right away. That means I can trust you. I really appreciate your your cake honesty. Um, Bilby was sort of doing that Martok thing where he was asking if his cake was hot and making it a test, right? Right. And uh, I think that he's genuinely charmed by the fact that Chief O'Brien is an honest man in this dishonest place. I mean, for all the questions we're asking about whether or not O'Brien is the appropriate person for a mission like this, I like that his default setting when it comes to, like, spycraft... Uh is just, like, being affable and normal. Right. Like, he's not trying to be a spy here. He's not even trying to, like, save his own life, even though that's the subtext. He's just being himself, utterly. Right. Like, the only... Like, he he tells a couple of lies, like, I don't have a family or whatever, but yeah. he never tells a lie he doesn't have to. And it seems like in this scene, they're kind of falling for each other. Mm-hmm. Hey, what do you make of that, Chester? I have found me an honest man. Bilby is lost in the limpid pools of Chief O'Brien's eyes, and Chief O'Brien is excited to see a photo of Bilby's family. The format for this episode is every time O'Brien has a scene with Bilby or anyone else in the syndicate, the very next scene is in the alley. Right. So it's the same here. He meets up with Chadwick. And uh, and Chadwick gives him the replacement parts to fix the disruptors. Right. The uh, th- these are induction coils that they got special from the Klingon ambassador Tefarius. Pretty plum gig. Yeah. I, I always I always love the the phrase Klingon ambassador. It just sounds like a contradiction in terms, like Starfleet intelligence. <laughs> the very name is racist. <laughs> <laughs> The Federation is no more than a homo sapiens only club. I mean, I, I use that line of dialogue because that's like one of the few ambassadors we've we've gotten. Yeah. Yeah. This guy is, uh, is the, the Klingon ambassador is is only in the mind. Right. We never actually meet him. Right. Also in the mind is O'Brien's apartment. We never get to see it. And I think that's why we're always in this alley. Yeah. There's uh, there's only three sets in this episode, really. Yeah. So. O'Brien fixes these Klingon AKs, gives them back to the gang, and it looks like these things are going to work. Everyone is psyched, and Bilby is so impressed with the work here that he gives O'Brien a makeover. I think it's time we did something about the way you look. (laughs) As a reward. I love the scene where they go out shopping, and it's, uh, you know, walking on sunshine, and Bilby's sitting on the 
on the settee yeah. and O'Brien comes out in a bunch of different looks. It's so great. Yeah. It, I mean, he basically got a shave and a little bit of a haircut and the Bilby suit. Yeah. And that was made into a joke later, like they like they took him to Bilby's tailor. Kroll doesn't, is not impressed by Connolly's new look. He looks fine. But Bilby's really happy with it. Kroll is being a real butterburger about this. <laughs> We're, we're set up to dislike him immediately. Yeah. I kind of kept wondering if, like, if this episode was going to start killing these guys off and trying to make us feel right. good about it. Or, like, make us feel more and more dangerous as the as the trap is closing in, right? Right. Because it kind of goes in a very interesting direction with regard, to, like, like, Bilby seems, like, so thirsty for just, like, normal friendship and... O'Brien yeah. is such an aw shucks nice guy that he can't help but fall for that, despite everything. Bilby constantly talks about family being the most important thing, like we see a picture of them in the frame. Yeah. And yet the the relationship between them is very paternal from Bilby to O'Brien yeah. in a way that I always thought that there was a tragedy that had happened to Bilby's family that was about to be... Right. Explain. Yeah, they're not know? really off on another planet. In fact, they right got turned into cat food I have by a Ramos. Son. He would be about he would be about your age. Yeah, and on and on. Yeah. Um, but they're they they just keep getting closer and closer. And this is like through events like the arms dealer showing up in the bar, uh, so that Bilby can suggest he give him a refund and then murdering him instead. I think th this scene is so necessary because, like, we've talked a long time about how kind Bilby has been to O'Brien. You sort of forget the danger until Bilby shoots this guy in the leg and then shoots him in the chest to kill him. I felt terrible for this guy because having loaf in front of your mouth opening is, is rough enough. And then he gets killed. It works fine now. You get the sense that this happens all the time in this bar. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, the bullion just goes and gets a mop and bucket. <laughs> you never want to go to a bar with a floor drain. No. That's one of my rules. Yeah. You're either in, in a, a Blade film or <laughs> there's about to be some gangster shit going down. Uh, O'Brien is, is low-key horrified at this, but he keeps it tight. There's no machismo in O'Brien. You know, like even when he like starts meeting other gangsters he's never like he's never like puffing his chest out or anything he always looks like a little nervous like oh boy are we gonna meet this guy now Ugh. you know Kalamini has this gear in him right like we've seen him in tng when he was uh remember when his body was taken by those aliens i know who you are and i know what this is like you know, he can go dark, mm -hmm. and you know he can he can have swagger like like Con Air. This is fucking spectacular. And he can totally puff his chest out, but that's not how he's playing it in this. He's making interesting choices that that cut against that. It and and it cuts toward the familial relationship that that he's constructing with Bilby. Yeah, it, he's not impressing Bilby with his badassery. He's getting close to him. Uh, in a friendly way. Well, and and because he's capable, like he's he's able yeah. to do things that Bilby like that didn't have didn't previously have anyone who was of a utility like this, and that's why Bilby like is kind of off guard around him. Like he opens up so fast, and that's something that the Starfleet intelligence guy comments on. And in this next scene is when Bilby like mentions the thing about yeah, we've got a rat in Starfleet. And I thought that O'Brien kind of pushed his luck in this scene. He's like, Starfleet, you say? I don't believe it. Tell me more. Tell me the details of that. What's the guy's name and home address? <laughs> you happen to know his yeah. social security number? Philby's <laughs> like, uh, but anyways, let's talk about other things. That should have piqued his interest a little more, that O'Brien was so curious in this moment. I think if this episode had been told across two episodes, like, you could have planted that in this scene and then like... Had O'Brien kind of like let that simmer for a long time before he asked another question, but we're already halfway through the app at this point, so we need to have th things start happening. The idea of the mole isn't just that it exists, it's that this mole has given Ramus the names of every undercover agent in Starfleet, and 
one wonders at this moment in time if O'Brien's is one of those names. Yeah, I think it's not because he's he's like he's specifically not in Starfleet intelligence, and that's why they sent him here. It's obviously not true, but I think it establishes a possibility. Yeah. That as long as there is a mole in Starfleet, the chances of O'Brien being outed have increased. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty devastating later in the episode when he gets the news that Keiko and Molly have been murdered. And your mind right. immediately goes to, this is Orion, get back. And then it's like, no, they were just murdered senselessly for, for no reason. Pretty dark. Yeah. <laughs> and then we go to credits. Yeah. One of the things O'Brien learns in in peppering Bilby with questions about this rat is that this uh, person is in Starfleet and uh, used to work weather control on Risa. Right. And my mind immediately went to, is the rat wharf? My mind went there too. (laughs) And hey, let me ask you a follow-up question. Did you want it to be wharf? I kind of (laughs) did. I did too. Like, like, I kind of feel like they could write their way into that having been an op that Worf was running on behalf of the Federation Klingon Alliance. Like, there being some serpentine way of getting out of that. But, like, getting Worf in a huge amount of trouble at this point in the series would have been a really interesting turn. I think it would have been a great turn for his character. And it unborings him in a really great way. And it also, like, in the same way that we were talking about, you know, why would you have an undercover agent with all of these ties like a family? Yeah. Who is the other most untied person on DS9? I mean, (laughs) the the wedding to Dax notwithstanding, I mean, Worf doesn't have ties. Right. He'd be great. (laughs) He lobotomized all his ties. I mean, what if that were it? Like, Kern being the the final piece yeah. to get out of the way so that he could safely operate as a double oh, agent. Oh, yeah. Like, they go back through every choice Worf has made, and it's all been, like, because he had to, he had to cover right. his tracks. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you said this medical procedure was for my benefit. We know from other episodes that... Secret agents can have their minds wiped and then reestablished. Why did you do it this way? I'll never be able to ask such a question <laughs> because I could never remember to ask it. <laughs> the episode that is just Kern as Kern in the movie Memento <laughs> is the bottle episode that we need right now. Oh, man. Maybe that's the comic book we should do with J.K. Woodward. Hell yeah. <laughs> Remember, Sammy Jenkins. <laughs> I have a tattoo with important information on my chest, but I need to learn to read again every morning in order to understand what it says. I fucking love this idea of a one comic book series that's Kern (laughs) trying to piece it all together. Oh, my God. The cover is is Kern looking at himself in the mirror and all the tattoos are backwards. Yeah. Detective Kern. On Kronos. IDW. Holler at us. No one gets to steal it. It's us and JK doing this. Copyright trademark. Done. This idea featuring a character that is not our property. <laughs> so we we're in this scene when uh, when they get a phone call from Ramos and they have to go back to the bar because it's not Bilby's apartment and it's not the alley. It's the other place to go, <laughs> and uh, and they get there and Ramos beams in. I I really loved the detail that Ramos has like a really cool transporter effect. Yeah, that we've never seen before. The video game analogy is like this seems like a thing that you pay extra for of the in-game money. You know, like you <laughs> yeah. can have the regular transporter effect, or if yeah. you really want to grind out some some herb farming or whatever, you right. can. Yeah. You can pay for the especially glowy one. Ramos gave Tom Nook like 500,000 bells to get this transporter beam. Yeah. Some would argue against the value of it, but if you have it, yeah, you really appreciate it's it. It's just cool. Yeah. What are you doing now? Ow! 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 Ow!
So uh, Ramos does that dramatic thing where he steps aside and introduces Bilby to somebody else, and that somebody else is a Vorta. Yeah, it's the same Vorta that was communicating with the Jem Hadar that took over the the Little D. Gelnan is his name. Absolutely, Rich. We got some great people. Permanently bored Gelnan. I think that there's maybe a couple too many Vorta characters in the mix now, because when he laid eyes on O'Brien, I was like, oh, fuck, he recognizes O'Brien. I thought he was made, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and then it, he just it doesn't, and the show was made for airing in syndication on a weekly basis like i can't imagine that isn't where every single person's mind went when this happened right yeah you'd think they would write something about that but um there's a fun moment of security theater when ramus asks bilby who o'brien is in a i don't recognize this member of the team what the fuck he's a friend of us (laughs) yeah and bilby vouches It's, it's very mafia is that the extent of your security precautions There'll be witness for him. That's all that's necessary. It makes the Vorta laugh, <clears throat> which I think is a thing that we don't see too often, right? If you say so. Right, because like there is a, a comparison. I think that the Vorta makes eventually in this episode that the Dominion is set up very similarly to the Orion Syndicate, but where the Dominion chooses to run security by genetically altering all its subjects to be fiercely and blindly loyal to the founders... The, the Orion Syndicate just has an Omerta thing where they, uh, if somebody vouches for you, that's good enough for everyone. That thing about the Vorta remains true, and that is, like, there's condescend—the condescending thing about them is what makes you fear them. Like, they are so confident. And the way that he's sort of laughing his way through the mission, a very important mission— that he seems to be kind of like blithely chill with, yeah. laughing at its at its people, I think is an example of this. The mission that the Vorto wants them to do is to take those Klingon disruptors and whack the Klingon ambassador. And they talk through the math of this. The Klingon ambassador is anti-alliance with the Federation. And so it's going to look like Gowron was behind getting him killed and therefore... It, it will like cause dissension to heat up in the in the Klingon alliance, right? Because if you were to take the Klingons out of the alliance, it makes the Federation easier to defeat, right? And uh, I guess the Orion Syndicate has some deal with the Dominion that they'll be allowed to continue their criminal syndicate when the Dominion controls the Alpha Quadrant. That part is the part that goes unspoken, right? I find it hard to believe that that would be allowed. You know, like the Dominion are such fucking control freaks. Right. <laughs> Maybe they enga- the Orions have engaged in a little wishful thinking there. Bilby's a little freaked when everyone leaves because it seems sort of reflexive for him to vouch for O'Brien. But now that it's over, he's having a little bit of, uh, of regret. Voucher's remorse. He is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and well, he should, because immediately O'Brien goes and meets with... Uh, intelligence contact and and tells him about this evil plan uh and he's like cool so i found out who the starfleet intelligence rat is and i found out about this vorta can i go home now and uh and dude is like uh no actually this has gotten a lot more complicated and we need you to we need you to stay the course while uh while we figure this out this is the part of the ep that felt the most donnie brasco to me you know uh-huh. Like, he's gotten too close, doesn't want anything bad to happen to him. I haven't seen that movie in a long time, but that, but those memories flooded right back, the Johnny Depp-Al Pacino relationship. Yeah, and Chadwick is like, um, what does forget about it mean? <laughs> and O'Brien has to kind of walk him through that. Sometimes it just means uh, forget about it. They knock over the bank of Bolius in the next scene, the... Yeah. Uh, the Bank of Bolius just keeps coming up in season six. I would argue that the Bank of Bolius is fairly easy to knock over because the bank vault door has that seam right down the middle. <laughs> that's where you yeah, put your crowbar pin. That's uh, that's easy to pry apart. Yeah. It's a very exciting scene, Ben, because what do we have here? It's a couple of guys screaming at another guy standing at an ATM. Right. And I think the tension of this scene is, is done extremely well for that being all that it is. 
Yeah, it's literally just four single close-ups yeah. of the three gangsters and O'Brien, and somehow like you get all of the excitement of a bank heist out of it. It's sort of the perfect distillation of what tension is in TV and movies, right? Like, we have right. all the components. We have all of those singles like you're talking about. We have a common goal and a great danger. We have the score and it's building in tempo and, and volume. Yeah. Like, it's exactly what you want. And, and what you want to do to celebrate after you rob a bank is uh, have sex with a sex worker, which yeah. Bilby arranges for uh, for Connolly. This is the scene where you know Bilby's a freak, right? This was the opportunity to have a green lady. Yes. Bilby doesn't want to fuck up his sheets, though. Instead, it's it's a very beautiful woman with the same loaf as several of the other characters. I also thought it was weird that the cat was on the same bed that Bilby was inviting O'Brien to use for sex with this lady. I mean, I will say uh, we are both we're both animal owners and lovers. Uh, it is a it is a thing. It is a thing every time to. Uh, to yeah. encourage the pet to leave. Right, right. I, I think that, I, I have never experienced this, but I think that it would be much more of a thing if it was not my pet. <laughs> <laughs> like like your house sitting? Yeah, this is Bilby's cat, not Connolly's cat. Yeah. Like Connolly is supposed to do the horizontal mambo with this prostitute while making a weird eye contact with Bilby's cat? the fuck man what the fuck yeah you sick you piece sick of shit. fuck there is never even a suggestion that bilby will leave once this no. thing goes down either and i think he likes to watch you know he does a freak. his cat yeah <laughs> you know he's gonna sit in the recliner with a with a snifter of brandy and just yeah relax into this i, I don't want to you know what do you mean you don't want to i brought it here for you i appreciate that but but what Somehow, O'Brien talks his way out of this. It's a miracle, and yet it's totally O'Brien to be, like, friendly. And like, oh, you're you're so beautiful. Like, I'm really glad you came over maybe some other time. Like, just consider it in that great way. Yeah. I mean, I also think it, like, deepens the storyline about the fact that... I mean, like, Bilby talks about O'Brien as, like, my luck changed when I met you. Like, you've, like... I was at this level, and pretty soon I'm going to be at this level. Started eight months ago, and already we're pulling in 50000 a year in revenue. The syndicate is giving me opportunities now, and I owe a lot of that to you. I'm going to, I'm going to bring you with me. And, uh, and like, that's kind of, that's kind of the, the sin that Bilby commits, right, is that he, he is too trusting of O'Brien's fake character because he wants to believe in his own success. I think this is the thing that a lot of people who feel a sense of bad luck tend to do is like they they grasp toward the big lucky thing. Right. Thinking that it'll be the one chance they have to turn it all around. Like this is the this is the gambler's fallacy. I've been I've been in the ball kicking machine forever. It actually encourages you to take more chances. Like, right. like this is the moment that's that's gonna change everything, and and it's the same for Bilby. Yeah. So after O'Brien turns down the sex worker, he again meets with Starfleet intelligence, and Chadwick's like, "Let me smell your fingers." <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear that you're enjoying your assignment. Chad- Chadwick's like, uh, "Yeah, we just wanted to schedule more public meetings between you and me, so that there was just the maximum possible opportunity for the Orion Syndicate to catch on about what's happening here." Chadwick's like, "You have kind of a lot of green stuff on your lapel." There's no need to explain. I've been undercover. Is there anything I need to tell your wife? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, O'Brien is full-on feeling bad about Bilby at this point. Like, he understands that his mission might be coming to an end, but he wants to make sure Bilby's going to be okay. And Chadwick's like, look, man, this mission is not about making sure Bilby's okay. This mission is about making sure Bilby is imprisoned or worse, along with the rest of the people who work with him in the syndicate. Like, keep yourself on mission, man. Because, like, they're, like... Right after this, in the bar, planning this mission to go assassinate the Klingon ambassador. And also, like, 
one of one of Bilby's dudes gets shot because uh, I think it's uh, Flith that gets shot for having run a side hustle and not paid his protection money to to Bilby, right. who uh, therefore couldn't pay it to Ramos. Like the stakes are really high, and you need to keep shooting people in this episode, right? Yeah, like killing the gun runner, killing Flith is all stuff that O'Brien is looking past because he thinks Bilby is a nice family man at his core that is, like, stuck in a bad situation. The way he explains it to Chadwick is, like, he's a nice family man. He has has a cat, and he likes to watch (laughs) me have sex with people. Like, it's fine. Sounds like you've really got your hooks into him. He just sits there with a snifter of brandy, his cat in his lap, and that big picture of his family in his other hand, watching me have sex, and I just respect a guy like that. You know, I've been in Starfleet a long time. Could do with a few more bilbies, if you ask me. (laughs) It's not you I hate, Starfleet (laughs) intelligence guy. It's the sex freak you've made me become. Yeah, you know, when I was on the Rutledge, like, Captain Maxwell was the only other man I ever knew who had... Actually enjoy watching me have sex. <laughs> I mean, you could say it's it's sort of a dragon I've been chasing ever since. I'll never forget it. He would just sit in the corner and sing, The soldier boy to the war has come. <laughs> and, and come he would. Yeah. He always hit the post on that, you know. He somehow knew when I was about to pop. Chadwick just like walks backwards back into the shadow, <laughs> disgusted. Morn, 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 sweet morn, morn, morn. You hear, buddy? Morn, stop. Hammer time. So yeah, Chadwick has to kind of talk some sense into O'Brien because O'Brien is like, "You're gonna let Bilby, my best friend in the world, get murdered," and Chadwick is like, "Hey, like these guys picked this life, like." That doesn't sound very Starfleet, does it? Yeah, that's the thing, is like, not believing the worst in people is one of Starfleet's weakest, but also one of its strongest points. And I guess we don't really know that much about what life is like for humans outside of the Federation, but you would think that there would be some kind of worldview moment in here where uh, this guy could could kind of put it in terms that Chief O'Brien could understand, and that would illuminate something about why the Orion Syndicate exists in this in this future. Right. I really like this episode, and I think there's a lot of really fun stuff in it, but I, that felt like a really big hole and a really big missed opportunity to me. I think it's related to the how did O'Brien get himself into the situation? How was he groomed? Right. How were these decisions made? Like, this is all handy backstory stuff. They do not reach an agreement here. Chadwick says, like, you've got to just let this run its course, and O'Brien responds to this by punching his lights out and running back to Bilby's apartment. Once he gets to the apartment, he is summarily arrested by Starfleet intelligence and thrown in (laughs) Federation prison. And that's the end of the episode. Yeah, we just cut to him 15 years later with a great bushy beard. Yeah. He's, uh... Making a mandala in the dust on the floor. What actually happens is O'Brien is back at Bilby's trying to explain Star Wars to him. He's like, it's a trap, Bilby. It's a great big trap. You shouldn't go through with this mission. You can't go. Why not? Bilby does not react in the way that you might think. He's not grateful for being tipped off. He is... Uh, horrified at the betrayal and how fucked he is because no matter what he does he's fucked like he's either going to jail or be going to be killed by the Orions I really like how he lists every possible outcome here right like he can't run because there's no escape if you go through with the thing the Klingons are going to kill you if you choose prison prison only saves yourself and not your family right and those are the only three outcomes to this thing. He's been brutally betrayed, and he and he blames himself. He talks about the that wishful thinking thing and how it kind of blinded him to the truth. And uh, the truth was that everything O'Brien was telling him was kind of too good to be true. Billy told himself he was over him. Mm. 
he pretended his ship wasn't sinking. <laughs> he told himself he was over O'Connell because he is the king of wishful thinking, Ben. Yeah. This is maybe my favorite part of this episode, is that O'Brien makes the case as strongly as he can, like that this is a suicide mission. And Bilby's like, take care of my cat for me. <laughs> and he walks out the door. And what I love is you don't know which of the three options he chose. Right. And you never know. Yeah, the the next scene is O'Brien downloading kind of the emotional toughness of this with Dr. Bashir in his quarters. And he's not even changed out of his clothes or anything. Like that's right. how soon he has this hang with him. Yeah, he's like, "Boy, I got to I got to unload some shit on you, my friend." You ever do that thing when you come back from a place and a friend completely innocently is like has called you as soon as your suitcases hit the ground. Like, <laughs> I just need a moment. Yeah, yeah. That is, and, that is not Bashir. No. Yeah, I wonder about that. Like, it, Chief O'Brien is a creature of starship travel, so maybe mm-hmm. maybe being on the station is the opposite for him. Like, maybe, right. maybe he felt, like, more at home on the trip back. Yeah. Various must be really close to Deep Space Nine, though, right? Like, it wasn't a multi-day trip. He didn't change clothes. This was a chance to really illuminate a little bit more about Starfleet intelligence. Like, how did O'Brien get to and from Farius? Was it a really cool Starfleet intelligence ship? Did they have to smuggle yeah. him in with some cargo? Like a murdered out galaxy class? Yeah. How did he get dropped in there? And then how did he get squirreled away? And then then what did Chadwick do about getting punched in the face? Yeah, well, he didn't. he didn't put it in his report. And uh, no. that was nice of him. Yeah. I mean, you got to cut the guy a little slack. O'Brien is not an intelligence officer. I mean, this happens all the time. The The person undercover doesn't get in trouble for doing the blow. Right. Is O'Brien going to have a cat going forward? I don't know. This seems like a an extremely long-haired cat that would get your allergies up. <laughs> yeah, if you're, if you're allergic to cats, this is not the cat to have. How good are the HEPA filters on DS9? That's my question. Did you notice there was like a little camera bump when Bashir exited and the and the like the camera kind of lands on the cat when Bashir walks out of the room, but it bumps like somebody like walked past the the pan handle and like knocked it a bit. No shit. I'm going to dial that up. I really love that stuff. It's like 43 minutes and 40 seconds or so. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Almost as if they were expecting the cat to make the move before it did. Yeah, that's, yeah, like the That's what up. it is. Yeah. Like, there's an animal wrangler off camera that has made the move, like the call to cat. Yeah. And what the camera person did was they... They twitched. They, God, you know, you know that must have taken 40 takes to get. Right, and this was the best one. The one... I know. One with a visible mistake was their best take. Never yeah. work with animals or children. Uh, would you work with this episode, Ben? Did you like it? You really want to do this here now? Okay, okay, let's do it. Do it. I like the episode. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's fun. Uh, it's like a unique challenge in the context of a show where there's a war going on to mm-hmm. put an episode in a bottle like this. But I really like how it ties into the war. It gives you another dimension of it that you might never see that is like interesting and scary and uh and i thought it was a good a good showcase for Colomini. like he's he's um doing really like interesting stuff with the choices he makes in this episode so i do like it i like it because it's a Colomini bottle episode and i like it as a type of format it feels like in seven seasons of a show every single character could and should get this episode right the undercover app. Yeah. And yeah. I think uh, Colomini does this ably in a way that I, I really appreciate. It seems like he's been a kind of a peripheral character for a while, and he was deserving of of his episode at this moment in time. So I'm glad we got it. Absolutely. A lot of questions in the periphery about, like, why this is happening and why this is happening to him. But if you push those away, uh, I think there's a lot to enjoy here. Yeah, which you should. Uh, one thing I learned about this episode is that the actor who played Bilby was not the first choice. Oh, wow. And the actor who was the first choice died of a heart attack the week before shooting. Whoa. 
Like they basically had to go to their second choice, which is hard, man. Fuck. Nick Tate was the actor who who played Liam Bilby. Charles Hallahan, who is a real Hollywood that guy, like he's been in a thousand things, was originally cast as Bilby. And you know would have been great, but you just never expect this kind of challenge for an actor, like an actor to... Like, all right, well, I didn't get it. Like, hats off to Charles Hallahan. But right. but to then get field promoted to getting it because Charles Hallahan dies the week of the shoot is just so brutal. And I think Nick Tate did a great job. And just knowing that that was going on behind the scenes is incredible to think about. So, like, hats off to him for doing great in the role. Like, if you didn't know that bit of trivia, I think you would, on its own, like, you would appreciate his work here. But just knowing that there was that added challenge, I think, uh, yeah, that I think is, really makes it makes it better in terms of that. It sort of reminds me, like, from a level of difficulty standpoint of the actor that played Kevin Uxbridge and what he was going right. through when he was portraying yeah. a man whose wife had died right after his wife died. Like you and I were joking a couple episodes ago where they kept beaming up people who weren't Captain Sisko on the rescue mission. Like everyone thought Charles Hallahan was going to be the guy. Iris Stephen Bear like handpicked him. Like he was Iris guy. And then to show up on set knowing that you're not the guy and you still need to act the part. That's really hard. I cannot imagine that. So uh, special commendation to... uh, Nick Tate here. Did a, did a great job. Um, you know what else deserves special commendation, Adam, is the folks that get priority one messages on our show. Do you want to see if we have any in the inbox? Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first priority one message is from Vicky. And it is for John. And the message goes like this to my darling, Shmoo. <laughs> I'm not even a little bit embarrassed to be shelling out a hundred bucks on this dumb podcast to say happy 10th anniversary because I love you. Wow. Ben and Adam have brought us a little closer. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Vicky, thanks for the faint praise. Thank <laughs> you for being the best husband to me and a fantastic father to our irrational biped have been <laughs> and always shall be your drunk Shimoda. Wow. I just picture us pushing John and Vicky a little bit closer to each other. Yeah. I mean, you and I aren't watching. No. We're pushing no. John and Vicky together and then we're leaving the room. We're, we're not going to be like Bilby. No. I'll tell you that yeah. much. Our second priority one message is from Dylan and it's to Stephen and it goes like this. Stephen of House MRD Trombone. You have brought dishonor to this house. It is time for you to pay the ultimate price. Watch all of Star Trek Enterprise with me once you move to Richmond until you find appreciation for its theme song. Otherwise, I will cut a hole in the shape and size of Stephen into Stephen. (laughs) Also, happy birthday. Yeah, just a little happy birthday tag on the back there. Yeah. I almost forgot. (laughs) I have a terrible memory. Who knows why? Why do people keep requesting messages from me? I don't remember. This is one of those uh, P1s that was uh, obtained in February. And I wonder wonder if moving to, to Richmond... Was, is still a thing that uh, that Stephen is doing or not? So many things, yeah. so many things you wonder about these days. Well, uh, if you'd like to send us a P one to scratch our noggins about, head to maximumfun.org/jumbotron. It's a hundred bucks for a personal message and two hundred bucks for a commercial message, and we really appreciate the financial support. Hey, Adam. It's that Ben. Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? I feel like a lot of people could be the drunk Shimoda this episode, but I'm kind of going with Chadwick. <laughs> because what are you doing, Chadwick? Just just what are you even doing? 
What are you doing hanging out in an alley? What are you doing picking O'Brien? Where do you go? Chadwick's OPSEC is is terrible. I mean, you could explain it away by by thinking that maybe he has a substance abuse problem and, and he was given shit detail on Farious, you know? Aside from running the undercover agent that is Chief O'Brien, does Chadwick have any other things going on throughout the week? Sure doesn't seem like it. It seems like he's just waiting around in that alley. Kind of a lot. Yeah. What about you, Ben? My drunk Shimoda is Chester the cat. Um, Mm. We are given one character trait of Chester in this episode. Does not like people sitting in his chair. No. And then it never comes up again. Come on, Chester. Defend that chair. I didn't exactly do research on this episode, but I get the sense that Chester was a very difficult cat. Yeah, Chester looks like kind of a pip. Also, uh, sort of a terrible legacy for Bilby to give his his cat to O'Brien. Kind of revenge, if you ask me. Yeah. Care of a stranger's cat, the ultimate revenge, in my personal opinion. <laughs> you don't you don't want Molly digging around in that cat box. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before, and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. (laughs) Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. 
Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. All right, Adam. Uh, I think it is time for us to select our next episode. And uh, it's time for you to roll that bone and tell us how we will be consuming the next episode. Oh, shit. All right. Let's do the thing. The uh, The next episode, Adam, is season six, episode 16, Change of Heart. When Dax is seriously injured during a crucial mission, Worf must question his priorities. So Dax was in a... Uh a cargo bay and a and a and a item on a tall shelf fell down and yeah. landed on her back. Yeah, and uh, she's begging Worf to to end her life with honor, and he's just not sure and if Worf he has really, what it's going to take. Worf really understands that feeling. <laughs> You're required to learn as you play. Roll. All right, Ben. I have taken the die into my hands. Currently, we are on square fifty-six, which. Up until these unusual times was a looking at each other during episode and is now a Kanar with Damar episode. Six episodes ahead is a space butthole. And Ben, if I remember correctly, this was the one that took us all the way back down oh, yeah. to, square, to square 18. That is this a is, familiar butthole. What you don't want to do right now is call your ex-buttholes. <laughs> 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 the uh, the comfort and the familiar may be there, but uh, always a bad idea. Yeah. When you when you're feeling a little vulnerable, uh, as we are. Yeah. All right, Ben. Let's roll. <laughs> Good thing I rolled a two. Chula! <laughs> Did I win? Hardly. Uh, that puts us on square fifty-eight. Nowhere close to the space butthole of square sixty-two, and that means. Of course, that it'll be a regular old episode for us. That's great. I am looking forward to Reg App. Uh, well, this was uh, super fun. Um, if people enjoy the program and would like to support it in the meantime, uh, please head to MaximumFun.org slash join. Uh, if you'd uh, if you'd like to support in a free way, you could uh, recommend the show to a friend or leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts. If you ask a question on Apple Podcasts, maybe we'll answer it on an upcoming Marin. Yeah, that's a thing we like to do from time to time. We do. Uh, we got to thank our buddy Adam Raguzio, who made all the custom theme music for the show. Of course, he based his work on the original Picard song by Dark Materia. But uh, Adam Ragusea has gone on to bigger and much better things since then. He is now the proprietor of a smash hit YouTube cooking channel. Just search Adam Ragusea on YouTube and he'll teach you how to cook good food. Yeah. Why don't you get better at cooking? Adam will help you. He will. Not not me. The other one. The better one. The other. The the good Adam. (laughs) Friend of DeSoto, Bill Tilly, will post comedy trading cards about this very episode of you go to Twitter and look up Bill Tilly 1973. Yeah, you could use the hashtag greatestgen on Twitter. Adam is on there at Cut for Time. I'm at Benjamin AHR. And with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine, which has us staying away from cargo bays for safety. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.